0: Hey, hey, it is episode 20 of the Tata Cancer Podcast, and I am back today with the tamoxifen listener q and So thank you so much for tuning in. I know you all have so many questions about tamoxifen because episode 12, which is called Tamoxifen, the good, the bad, and the real real, is one of the most downloaded episodes that I have recorded. And I've gotten a lot of messages from you all regarding that episode with further questions. So I wanted to do a follow-up episode to address these questions. And that is what we are doing today, folks. So uh, before we get into the episode, just a little update on me. I am in Portland and, uh, you know, I was coming up here from hot, hot, hot Los Angeles. And I get up here to what I figure is going to be mild and lush and sometimes rainy Oregon. And holy moly, (laughs) heat wave-o-rama. So apparently there was a record breaking heat wave here. It was seven days long. Um my apartment does not have air conditioning because a lot of apartments in Oregon and Washington so in the Pacific Northwest don't have air conditioning just because they didn't really need it before. So this is a super strong example of the human impact on global warming because Portland and Washington have both both experienced pretty extreme heat waves in the last few years. I guess last year, they got up to 116 degrees. That is insane. I think we got up to, I believe there was one point when I saw 106, but I I think it was actually more like 102. But Being in a hot apartment with insufficient AC because I had bought a couple AC units, I will spare you the details (laughs) of these stories because I bought three different AC units and none of them really worked. took me a long time to figure out that it was an exhaust vent issue. But anyway, anyway, I'm getting into the story and it's so boring. So I'm sorry about that. Long story short or I guess, spoiler alert, I figured out the AC situation. It is finally chilling out a bit, although it's still hot for another month. Everybody keeps telling me, you just wait, you just wait. You are gonna be thanking your lucky stars for this hot weather right now. But otherwise, oh my gosh, I love it here. I love it here even more than I imagined I would, which is so exciting. I just feel like I belong here. I see, I don't know, I just love I love all the random artwork in my neighborhood. I love all the weird bumper stickers. I love how people are more apt to smile at you on the sidewalk than they are to ignore you. And that's something in a bigger city like Los Angeles or New York, both places that I've lived or San Francisco people just aren't as open because they're a little bit more on guard here in Portland it's still a decent sized city but it's it's not people aren't so guarded or at least it doesn't feel that way and i'm just having a really really wonderful time i'm so happy to be here so that's the update on moi oh oh well Couple announcements. Sorry, before we get into everything. So yes, I talked about this last episode. I have become a member of the Rose City Sexual Health Collective, which is a holistic group of well a group of practitioners who are kind of working together in a holistic way to promote sexual health and satisfaction. There are multiple licensed therapists, uh, sex coaches. There's a pelvic floor specialist. A uh, we just got an acupuncturist and everybody who's working there has a a specific approach to help you with sexual satisfaction and we can really knock it out, (laughs) knock out any of your problems uh, with a multi-pronged holistic approach. Or you can just utilize the expertise of any of the individual practitioners. And I am beyond honored to be working alongside of my colleagues, all of the women in the collective. It is all female at this time. Not that it was planned out that way, but everybody is just fantastic and So if you check out the website, which I will link to in the show notes, yeah, check them out. I'm going to start doing um, some libido workshops there soon, and these will apply to both breast cancer survivors, patients, and non. Um, Yeah, it'll be something that can be applied to really anybody But I will also be doing some stuff that's a little bit more specific to breast cancer patients, or I can with you if that's something that you're interested in. And uh, before, last thing, (laughs) last thing, before we get into all this tamoxifen talk, Tammy talk, if you have not downloaded my free resource, the Tamoxifen Facts and Feelings Workshop, if you are struggling with this decision around tamoxifen, You are the only person who can make the decision for you about whether you're going to undergo this particular hormone therapy, whether you're going to continue with it if you're really struggling or if you're going to stop. And I always encourage people to have a dialogue with their doctor about it. And if you don't know how to do that or really what factors you might wanna look at to see what the risk-benefit is to you to weigh out your options that's what this resource is for so yeah it's free downloaded i'll put the link in the show notes you can also get it off my website but anyway okay i've babbled enough hello and welcome to the Tata cancer podcast where we will discuss the physical and mental elements of healing from a breast cancer diagnosis My name is Junie Boucher. I'm a nutritional therapy practitioner and a breast cancer survivor. When you're diagnosed with breast cancer, you're forced to make life-changing decisions with so much information that's really hard to sift through. My intention is to help provide you with the information you need to make a decision that's going to align your body, mind, and heart so that you can live your best life going forward. I'm gonna be your new breast friend. Okay, let's do this. The information contained in this podcast is for educational purposes only and should not be considered medical advice. Please always consult with your doctor for any of your medical needs. So I just want to reiterate again that this is sort of a follow-up to episode 12. So if you want the nitty-gritty or the basics on tamoxifen, if you want to hear about my story regarding tamoxifen and why I have chosen to not take tamoxifen, Listen to that episode. It's chock full of information. But just to recap a little bit about the basics, what is tamoxifen and why is it prescribed? So, tamoxifen is a prescription medication, typically prescribed to premenopausal women, but sometimes it's prescribed to menopausal women as well. And it is a selective estrogen receptor modulator. So, it's prescribed to women who are at high risk of breast cancer. or hormonally driven breast cancer patients as a way of protecting them from recurrence. And what it does is it sits on the cancer cell receptor that is fed by estrogen. And it basically blocks that hormone from fueling the cancer. Now, the thing is that when they say it's a selective estrogen receptor modulator. So in the uterus, tamoxifen is actually, it's estrogenic. It has estrogenic activity, which is why it comes with a risk of, an elevated risk of uterine or endometrial cancer. And, but it blocks estrogen in the brain and the heart. And so that can be one of the reasons why you have the, menopausal symptoms. And some of those symptoms are hot flashes, joint pain, trouble sleeping, fatigue, brain fog, increased risk of blood clots or stroke. I mentioned the increased uterine and endometrial cancer risk and other side effects. I've heard um, that there are potentially vision side effects. I know a lot of women, myself included, who had a lot of mood effects. I've done research specifically for this episode and my own research and research for my practice. And it's interesting because there have been scientific studies that say that tamoxifen does not have any effect on mood or sexual function, because that's another thing that women tend to report about tamoxifen is that their libido just kind of goes out the window, that they have sexual issues like vaginal dryness, increased discharge, increased UTIs, painful sex, which is comes with the territory of vaginal dryness or atrophy, you know, the atrophy that occurs in vaginal tissue as estrogen declines in the menopausal state. So I find that interesting. <laughs> and it's hard because in our scientific world, in our medical industry, unless there are trials and tests that conclude that there is a direct relationship between A and B, they don't really acknowledge certain things. But I think it's pretty common knowledge, even among doctors that women who take hormonal therapies can have sexual side effects. So yeah, maybe that study was flawed in some way, but uh, whether or not it's quote unquote in people's heads or not, I think it's significant. And especially with the mood stuff, I know a lot of people who say, I felt crazy or I felt full of rage, so incredibly irritable. And that makes a lot of sense because not only is your liver taxed, you may be having trouble sleeping, you may just be tired all the time, not feel like you can think, have joint pain and hot flashes. I mean, of who's not going to be grouchy if they feel like poop, <laughs> you know? So but it when I was taking it, I will say it really felt like, it just, it felt hormonal. It didn't feel like it was in my control. It didn't feel like something I could sleep away. It felt really hormonal. And it did resolve when I stopped taking it. Now, again, and I have to say this a gazillion times, I'm so sorry if it's annoying, but I am not a doctor. <laughs> I'm a nutritional therapy practitioner. I have done my own research. I am a breast cancer survivor. I am somebody that's done a lot of reading and have has gone into this information quite extensively. So I do feel comfortable creating this podcast, but I am in no way trying to give you medical advice. And if I have learned anything, it's that this medication, which is considered to have a 30 to 50% reduction in risk on a woman's chance of her breast cancer reoccurring. Now, that is relative. So, if your risk is quite low, then 30 to 50% is going to be different than somebody who has a really high risk of their cancer coming back. Also, the other caveat to that is that there's just no guarantees. And I've said it before, I'll say it again. Cancer treatment is not an exact science. And it's just, it's just, it's tough. It's a tough reality. But just keep in mind, and again, that's why I created that Facts and Feelings workbook. You know, there are questions you need to ask. And there are things that you can look at to determine how much is this going to benefit me if it's making me really question my quality of life but sometimes it may be worth it to you and you need to get in touch with what that means to you what that means to your loved ones but at the end of the day that decision has to come from you and most people I talk to have had some kind of a gut instinct about it either way. I had a gut instinct that I should not take it, that I I really felt some strong intuition about that. I don't know what that means or if it has any merit, but I do like to believe my gut and it's never steered me wrong. But I know women who have wanted to come off of it who say, I don't know, my gut is telling me I really need to stay on it. And to me, that has a lot of weight. So, so think about that. Um, all right, let's get into some of these questions. Okay. Why does tamoxifen cause blood clot risk? And is there a way to prevent this? So this is a really interesting question, partially because there's no real clear answer regarding what it is about tamoxifen that makes the blood more susceptible to clotting. What I did find in an article from the AHA, the American Hospital Association, it stated tamoxifen increases venous thromboembolic events, VTE, but the factors explaining the risk are unclear. However, the risk of VTE on tamoxifen was higher in women aged 55 years or older, women with a body mass index greater than 25, women who had elevated blood pressure, women whose total cholesterol was greater than 250 milligrams per deciliter, who were current smokers and had a family of coronary heart disease. So basically... And the answer to this question is how to prevent blood clot risk. I would definitely discuss your family history, and I would hope that your doctor would ask those questions before they prescribed you tamoxifen about blood clot history and a history of coronary heart disease in your family, smoking history, all that stuff. I would be shocked if they didn't ask you that or know these other things about your cholesterol and your BMI but also you if they do still prescribe it, they feel it is worth the risk, then work on these things. Try to get your body composition, and that's much more important than overall weight. You want a healthy body composition, healthy level of fat as opposed to a healthy weight, because you can still technically be obese and be a quote-unquote healthy weight or have a Healthy quote unquote BMI and the body fat is the most important thing, especially for hormone positive breast cancer patients. Because um, estrogen, well, the adipose tissue is does have a, a high effect on your risk and um, your ability to balance estrogen. So, you can work on those things, which will probably bl- bring your blood pressure down and your cholesterol down if you stop smoking and you lost weight or lost, you know, improved your body composition. So, think about the healthy lifestyle factors that you can take into account as a way to prevent blood clot risk and stroke risk because it is something that is pretty common. Okay. Second question, if tamoxifen is a carcinogen, so it is classified as a carcinogen, which always makes my brain want to explode, that can cause uterine or endometrial cancer, why is it still being prescribed? Great question. (laughs) Um, The answer to this question, which to me feels very... Classic in terms of the Western medicine opinion is that, well, if you get uterine or endometrial cancer, it's really easily treated. We just do a hysterectomy and uh, you're probably pretty good after that. But your breast cancer won't come back. (laughs) So um, I don't know if I like that thinking, to be honest with you. But many doctors, feel that the risk of death or the risk of, you know, having to undergo more serious or more taxing treatments is less with uterine or endometrial cancer. But I don't know, that doesn't sit well with me to be completely honest with you. And, you know, I'm not trying to beat up on our medical industry, but I will say I have been reading a lot about the politics, the finances, the the money sources behind a lot of these big cancer organizations and you know there is there are profits being made off of the treatment of breast cancer. Unfortunately, just like every other industry, there is a breast cancer treatment industry and they are making billions of dollars and they are projecting continued increases in profits. I'm reading a book right now called Busting Breast Cancer, and it is quite eye opening and depressing in terms of how the cancer industry simultaneously fuels cancer diagnoses. And we'll talk about that some other time. I'm going to reach out to the author of that book and see if she'd be willing to come on the podcast because I think her information is really powerful. But You know, your doctor, I'm sure, really has your best interest at heart, but the thing with these medications right now is it's really the only thing that they have to give us from their toolbox. And mind you, they're not typically working from an integrative approach. If you have an integrative oncologist or you have a naturopathic oncologist that works with your Western oncologist, great. There are other things that you can do. There are supplements that you can take. We'll talk a little bit more about that later. But in terms of what's available to the mainstream practitioners, it's tamoxifen. And with a reduction rate of 30 to 50%, I mean, it just feels like a no brainer. Plus, you know, they're medically obligated to offer pretty much just about anyone who's diagnosed with breast can hormonally driven breast cancer, whether it's invasive or non-invasive. And they're also now starting to try to prescribe tamoxifen to women who have just a very strong genetic predisposition for it, which is, it's one way, I guess. Um, I also don't love that. But, you know, these are very personal decisions for people. And for some people, It makes them feel confident and secure that they're doing what they can do. And if you feel good about that, more power to you. I love that. I think that's amazing. I support you in that. But I do think it's important if you want to question why, how, if, It benefits you if it's worth the risk, if it's worth going through the side effects that you allow yourself to do that. Um, I don't encourage you going off the medication before you do a thorough inventory of this and discuss it with your doctor, but you're going to do whatever you want to do too. (laughs) And nobody's going to stop you. So yes, my two cents on that. Okay. Okay. Speaking of non-invasive breast cancer, this is a good another question to go next. Can you just take half the dose and still get the same benefit? So this has been coming up a lot because there is a super high non-compliance rate. So many, many women who are prescribed tamoxifen either never start taking it or go off of it. And that's usually because the side effects can be very intense for some people. I want to note, you've probably heard this if you are researching it or talking to other patients, some women don't have any side effects. They do just fine. Some women have side effects and then they go away. My oncologist said that she saw with a lot of her patients that it would go away within about six months, that their bodies would just regulate. So that's something to keep in mind. Um, But again, it's a very personal decision. Um, So there was an Italian study done to see if half of the dose of tamoxifen would work. Now this was done on women who were diagnosed with non-invasive hormone positive breast cancer. So this you know, this was not tested on women who have invasive ductal carcinoma or invasive lobular carcinoma. That's a very important thing to keep in mind. And what, but what happened in this test, they took five milligrams per day or 10 milligrams every other day. Typically women are prescribed 20 milligrams and this does not change usually That's the standard dose. And it's not something where if you're smaller or you weigh under 100 pounds or anything like that, or they change it, they just give, boom, everybody gets 20 milligrams. You get 20 milligrams. You get 20 milligrams. Yeah. It's like uh, Oprah's tamoxifen. So these women took five milligrams per day or 10 milligrams every other day for three years and they did feel that um, the tamoxifen did have that benefit that they were looking to see. They did not see a difference, real a real significant difference between that dose and the standard 20 milligram dose. Now it is extremely important to know that only 64.8 percent of the women who were taking the placebo and 60.7 percent of the women who were actually taking the low dose tamoxifen completed the three-year course of treatment. The doctor who was running the experiment said that if compliance had been higher, he would have expected to see a greater benefit of tamoxifen um i don't they don't really say why these women didn't complete the cor- complete the course of treatment, but I suppose well, that is a significant thing so so just keep that in mind if you have a non invasive Type of breast cancer, if you want to try to take a lower dose, that may be something that you want to discuss with your doctor, and they may be open to that. And if they haven't heard of this particular study, again, I will link it to the show notes. You could always show it to them and see what they think about that. It's always good to bring this type of data to a doctor if you want to kind of convince them to come to your side on something that they may feel strongly about if you have that testing and trials to back it up. I have talked to a listener who was, I don't believe her cancer was non-invasive. I believe she did have invasive. And she talked to her oncologist who let her take a lower dose, but she did end up having the same side effects and I believe she was taking 10 milligrams as opposed to this very low dose of five. I don't know if that has anything to do with it. Unfortunately, I was unable to find any data regarding whether or not they are testing the efficacy of a lower dose of tamoxifen for women with invasive breast cancers. I think the Standard of care remains at that 20 milligrams. They are only looking at this low-dose treatment for, um, in terms of scientific research being done at present, for non-invasive cancers or women who are at high genetic risk. But hopefully, they will start looking at that because there are so many women who suffer on the full dose. But yeah, I don't know, I, I mean, I'd be curious if it, how much it reduces side effects, you know, if you do take a lower dose, because according to this friend of mine who re- reached out to me as a listener of the podcast, who said, yeah, all of her side effects came back, unfortunately, and I'm so sorry that that happened, but you know, that's obviously just one anecdotal story. We don't have a lot of scientific data, but hopefully that's something that will maybe come down the pipeline and we can start looking at in the future. So this next question I also think is very common uh, and very interesting, and it's basically how can you predict if you're going to be one of the people that has side effects? Is there a way to do it? And is it typically harder for younger women or women who are already experiencing hormonal imbalances? And I did find this absolutely fascinating study. If you read any of the studies in the episode that I used, I would highly recommend this one. And it's called the Clinical and Biomarker Predictors of Side Effects from Tamoxifen. And essentially what they wanted to see is if there were specific things within women that could predict who was going to have side effects, what side effects they were going to have. And by identifying who was going to have side effects, they could potentially identify how, um, who maybe has more benefit from tamoxifen because there's also the idea that some studies have shown that, um, but some studies have negated that if you don't have any side effects to tamoxifen, it could be that it's actually not working, which is lovely, right? It's like, oh, you're doing fine on the medicine. Um, that means it's not working (laughs) because you should feel, uh, something, but, The, um, yeah, so, so that has been, I I, I don't know. I can't seem to find a clear answer to that. Some people say, no, that doesn't mean that it's not working. Some studies say, yes, that can potentially mean that your body is metabolizing it in a way that makes it ineffective for you. But in this particular study, they looked at women who were already on tamoxifen, and they they assessed some of the commonly attributed side effects of tamoxifen, hot flashes, vaginal dryness, sleep problems, weight gain, depression, irritability, or mood swings, and what they found... So let me try to summarize this for you because it is chock full of info. So what they found was that women who had been on tamoxifen for less than 12 months were less likely to report side effects or severe side effects compared to women who were on tamoxifen for greater than 12 months. Very interesting because like I said, my oncologist told me that in her experience, women who were on it longer seemed to adjust to it. And I've heard... I have friends who've said that that was their experience as well. According to this particular study, that was not the case. And um, this also stated that, so that women, younger women, women under 50, did seem to have more side effects than the women who were 60 to 70. And the women who were older than 70 were the least likely to report side effects. Now, oftentimes when you go into menopause, they'll switch you to an aromatase inhibitor as opposed to tamoxifen. But there, uh, like I said, there are women who do get prescribed tamoxifen. But if you are older, it sounds like you tend to do Better Now, some of the factors that they looked at that seemed to link these potential the potential for side effects were women who previously took some type of postmenopausal hormone therapy were more likely to report side effects so most of the women in this study were premenopausal at the time of their breast cancer diagnosis and um, a lot of the women there were who were in the study were postmenopausal at the time. Sixty-six percent of them had previously used hormonal therapy, um, the majority of the women in this particular study were Caucasian and Asian, and were mainly from the San Francisco area. Had uh, college or postgraduate degrees, and only three of the women in the study were taking tamoxifen for prevention of breast cancer. The median duration of tamoxifen treatment in the overall population of the study was 16 months, and most were recruited from hospitals. So 73% of the participants in this study experienced some effects that they attributed tamoxifen, mostly hot flashes, with 20% out of that reporting severe hot flashes. And only 51 people, or 21%, reported any severe side effects at all. But the other commonly reported side effects were vaginal dryness, which was reported by 35% of the participants, sleep problems 36%, depression or irritability 6%, and weight gain 6%. And the side effects tended to be reported most commonly among women who had been on tamoxifen for fewer than 12 months. And weight gain is the only side effect that seemed to increase Report with duration of of tamoxifen use. Um, they looked at something called uh, endoxifen levels, which were significantly associated with side effects, and that that's a um, metabolite level. And there's also was they were looking at a genotype, the CYP2D6 genotype. They were looking at whether that helped. You know, indicate whether or not you'd have side effects. Those genotypes were highly correlated with the endoxifen levels. Okay, so significant predictors of side effects included shorter duration on tamoxifen, younger age, previous use of postmenopausal hormone therapy, and higher endoxifen, endoxifen levels. Again, older women were less likely to report side effects, and women over 75 that were on it seemed to report. Extremely few side effects regarding that. So, um, maybe kind of hopeful news for some of the older women who are looking at using tamoxifen. Another thing that I've read about is that if you are having side effects on one brand of tamoxifen, you might want to look at using a different brand and that you can potentially have less side effects. So, they were looking a lot also at hot flashes since that was probably the most reported side effect. And predictors of menopausal hot flashes include smoking, maternal history of hot flashes. So if your mom got hot flashes when she went through menopause, early age menopause, surgical menopause, higher BMI lower physical activity, higher follicular stimulating hormone or FSH levels, anxiety, alcohol use, higher parity, and lower socioeconomic status. So that's like just regular. If you have um, age-related, menopause-related hot flashes, those are the typical predictors. They weren't able to determine if that was going to cross over and be the things that predicted whether or not you would have hot flashes while on tamoxifen. However, trying to look at those things for yourself is certainly not a bad idea to potentially stop the possibility of you having hot flashes. So again, that was smoking, uh, watch your alcohol use, keep your BMI in a healthy range. Um, Again, that should be body composition as opposed to BMI. So keep that in mind. So the last question here I saved for last because it's a bit of a doozy. And this question is, is there a natural alternative to tamoxifen? Now, if you ask your doctor this, I will just tell you right now, um, I mean, don't not do it if you want to, but it's highly unlikely that they would even legally be able to tell you if they think there is a natural alternative to tamoxifen which they feel is effective just because legally the you know there are things that they have to offer you as a standard of care to protect themselves from liability and um, you know there's just not enough evidence probably due to lack of funding of testing some of these nutrition and lifestyle methods and but the thing with protecting yourself from a recurrence of breast cancer and ultimately what the tamoxifen is trying to do is trying to deal with the root cause which is hormone imbalance likely estrogen dominance which usually means that you have an excess of toxic estrogens which are probably coming from potentially too much body fat, too high alcohol consumption, too much exposure to toxins and to... Harmful xenoestrogens like BPA um, or other toxins like glyphosate, stuff like that, where your body is just not detoxifying well enough and it's causing this imbalance, or your progesterone is just too low. And even if your estrogen is low, if the progesterone is completely tanked, it also creates that estrogen dominant scenario. So ultimately, you want to make sure that you're detoxifying estrogens and other toxins keeping your liver healthy and you know equipped <laughs> as well as just having your hormones balanced. So I um somebody who I like to read her website. She's great and she talks a lot about this. Her name is Elin Jacobs and she is a breast cancer survivor who has gone into the the realm of looking at tamoxifen and uh, whether or not there are other alternatives. She's really big on flaxseed and sesame seed as sort of natural alternatives. Again, she's not giving medical advice. I'm not giving medical advice, but she finds that the, the phytoestrogens in the sesame seeds and the flax seeds can potentially have some of the same mechanisms um, and they can also help keep that estrogen moving through the body and being eliminated. She talks about... um, what else does she talk about? So that's as a reason why if, if you're a breast cancer patient and you're constipated, that's a bit of a problem. You definitely need to be keeping your detoxification pathways. So you need to be sweating. You need to be drinking water so that you're peeing. You need to be eating enough fiber so that you are having regular healthy bowel movements. And um, so seeds I'm reading this from one of her articles and blogs, which is natural alternatives to anti-hormone therapies for breast cancer. What your doctor may know, but cannot recommend. She says seeds such as flax and sesame contain lignans, which are molecules that bind to estrogen receptors, just like tamoxifen. Binding turns on or activates a hormone receptor activation sets in motion, cell signaling systems that trigger gene expression. In other words, phytoestrogens are similar enough to estrogen that they can bind to these estrogen receptors, but cancer cells cannot use them as the same way as your own natural estrogen or chemical estrogens. They are far less potent. And lignans activate far weaker than your own estrogen or chemical estrogen. And what this means is that they cannot stimulate breast cells to divide. They park on the estrogen receptors and they are essentially blocking harmful estrogens from being able to bind to that receptor and do the dirty deed. They also reduce tumor growth by increasing cell death and decreasing angiogenesis, which is the growth of new blood ses- blood vessels that allow the cancer to advance. Flaxseed has also been found to knock down or inhibit CYP1B1, an enzyme that plays a role in estrogen metabolism. So she talks a lot about those two ingredients. She talks about the importance of cruciferous vegetables, garlic, onions, chives, scallions, shallots, parsley, leafy greens, turmeric, berries, lemon water, green tea, beets, flax seeds, artichokes. These all support your natural detoxification systems and drinking pure water. So filtered water and sweating are super helpful too. So get in that exercise. Also, Avoid or, or if you have a sauna, ooh, sauna is so good. Um, I wish I had a sauna. So chemical estrogens, the xenoestrogens, BPA, they can be found in so many beauty and home products, weed killers, insecticides and pesticides, especially glyphosate, Roundup, that's found a lot in a lot of our grain products, wheat products. If you're eating wheat, just know you are probably being exposed to glyphosate. Oral contraceptives, cash register receipts, plastic and paper products, even toilet paper and paper towels can be problematic. Again, this is all from Elon Jacobs' site. So you want to get those products out of your life, you want to buy organic. You want to free, uh, get things free of pesticides and GMOs whenever possible. Uh, she recommends aiming for a variety of eight to ten servings of veggies and two to four servings of fruit, limiting processed and packaged foods, and using only clean home and personal care products. I uh, I do not disagree with any of that. So I love that she addresses that doctors. You know, they're in a bind. They are typically not taught any of these alternative methods in medical school. And your doctor most likely won't feel comfortable in recommending them, even if she could, because it's just not part of their training. Does it mean that they don't work? No, it does not. But uh, again, there's no guarantee in any way. So there is a lot of resources out there with foods, balance your hormones. So just to recap, balance your hormones by balancing your blood sugar, taking out inflammatory foods. If you know that you feel terrible every time you eat cheese, sorry, stop eating cheese. (laughs) Um, If you feel awful every time you have pizza, you might want to experiment with a gluten-free diet. I honestly think pretty much anybody can benefit from that, whether you have celiac or not. There's just so much glyphosate in our wheat and there are so many people that are having problems with leaky gut or sensitivity issues that aren't even aware that it could potentially be connected. But it is your body and your choice. So balance hormones take out inflammatory foods, reduce toxins and your liver, the load on your liver. So cut down on alcohol or eliminate alcohol obviously that same goes for recreational drug use and as well as just getting your detoxification pathways open so i wanted to end here with the supplements some a couple of supplements that are actually really really popular for um breast cancer survivors and especially ones that are not taking tamoxifen so there is a supplement called dim so dim is actually a compound your body makes from digesting cruciferous vegetables like broccoli cauliflower brussels sprouts like i think it stands for i don't know if i'm saying this right diindole meth melt <laughs> melt doliol methane, nope, nope, sorry, <laughs> not gonna get that They call it dim, and so dim is a metabolite of indol three carbonyl that's a little bit easier to to get get it through, and um what it it supports healthy estrogen levels because it supports the phase one detoxification process so now it's important to emphasize phase 1 because there are two phases of detoxification that occur in the body. And if you're getting stuck in phase 2, if phase 1 is clearing out but phase 2 isn't, that's not a good idea, you know, that's not a good thing either. So you need to make sure that both detoxification pathways are open and are clearing effectively. So when you are taking a DIM supplement, you want to combine that with sulforaphane and calcium D-glucarate. So those nutrients actually help your liver complete the whole detoxification process, which is ultimately eliminating the excess estrogen from your body. So yeah, it's it's the metabolization of the estrogens that you want. And you want to keep, keep everything moving along. And you also want to make sure you're drinking water and managing stress. That will definitely help with detoxification as well. So there are a thousand other supplements that we could talk about, but I wanted to kind of keep it simple because there's a lot of information that we've covered here. And so, you know, with DIM, that's, that's, kind of the big one that we, that is talked about in the breast cancer communities. So hopefully that answered your questions. You know, if you have more questions, send them to me. If if there is a demand, we can always do another Q and A on this stuff and I can address your specific questions. But, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a lot. <laughs> so anyway, I'm going to wrap up this episode for you now, but don't forget, again, to download the Tamoxifen Facts and Feelings Workbook, or if Tamoxifen isn't even on your radar and you're just dealing with the beginning of a breast cancer diagnosis, gosh, I hope this episode didn't freak you out, but you can also download the free breast cancer grounding kit, or if you're trying to get some sweat worked up, which is one of the reasons why um, exercise is recommended, highly recommended for breast cancer survivors use my um, self-love dance party playlist it is so much fun and it'll get you pumped and you will not be able to not dance and you'll probably want to move around and you can use it as a running playlist or a spin class playlist or anything for a hike all that good stuff so I'm going to post a bunch of links in the show notes for you to check out just to see what the references are. If you do want to read some of the articles on Elon Jacobs website, which are very informative, uh, check those out. As always, I am available to you and I love hearing from you. Email me at junie at juniebewell.com or find me on Instagram, TikTok, or Facebook at juniebewell and i um yeah i'm still got coaching spots available i have some such an amazing roster of clients right now i'm super happy with everybody they are all incredibly lovely people that i'm just so honored to be working with and uh you could be one of them and i'm going to be doing some upcoming workshops real soon at the rose city sexual health collective in person but i want to also offer a virtual option on that. And we'll be mainly discussing libido stuff in those, but also, you know, perimenopausal things. And if you have a workshop idea that you want, let me know because I want to do what you want me to do. (laughs) I want to serve this community and provide material and information that's going to help you. And if you are enjoying this podcast, please, please, please do me a favor and leave a review. Uh, if you can write a written view, review, that's incredible. I so appreciate it. Or if you can just rate the podcast, that takes you two seconds to do. But ultimately, this helps other people find the podcast. And uh, I, yeah, that that helps in so many ways. It helps your fellow patients and survivors. And it helps me to just get the word out. So thank you so much for your support. And I hope you have a wonderful couple weeks. I'll be back talking to you real soon. And I am wishing you well. Take care now.